Good morning, everyone. And welcome to the new students. You're very welcome indeed. On a seat near you, you should find some uh, block of paper there with my closet prayer life written on it. If you haven't got one, don't be afraid to get up or put your hand up. You're going to need one this morning. At what Everson was sharing there about the Friday night, I really feel inadequate this morning, folks. I really do. And what I mean by that is I feel God wants to say something, and I don't know that I'm ready or equipped to do so. A couple of weeks ago, when Helen, when you were leading on the Friday night, I was standing where I always stand, and Helen went to go up, and man, God spoke to me. And it was like he said, she's not going to speak. I've got something to say. And when she started to speak, she said, God has chosen me tonight to speak to you. So just forget, I thought, there you go. God's got something to say here. And on Friday night, God bless you, Leanne, she could hardly contain herself and couldn't stop crying long enough to lead the prayer meeting. And I just feel today I'm just not, we're not adequate to, to, to get it, Leanne, you know what I mean? We're not adequate to get whatever it is that God's trying to say. And I hope that you can join me. Look at me a minute. I hope you can join me this morning and do one thing. Take today and just set it aside a minute. Just set yourself, your mind, your heart, your life, and everything aside just one moment and give God a chance. Just give him an open door. Give him one day. Give him one opening in your heart to do something. And let's find out what it is. Just bow your heads. Father, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that we are inadequate. I'm glad that we don't have what it takes. And so we force ourselves onto you and we lean into you this morning. And every one of us here, God, we ask you to, to minister to us. Minister your word into our spirits, your prophetic word, your direction for where you want us to go. Surrender. We surrender. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Turn, if you will, to, to, to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Don't be frightened by your notes. I know they're big and bulky. We won't be spending too much time on them. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Last week we were looking at Solomon and how Solomon is a template for a successful life. Now, who wants to have a successful life? Amen? Well, God has not left you without an example. And we went into the, the pattern, if you like, that Solomon followed, but it doesn't stop there. It's not just what God did to Solomon, but Solomon had many responsibilities, some that he failed in in later life, but nonetheless, folks, I think Solomon gets a bad press. You know? I think, you know, David, everybody thinks David's great and Solomon's terrible. Well, I don't agree. Hey, God was able to bless Solomon more than any other person who ever lived. Can't be that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was some capacity within Solomon. There was some devotion within him that was Godward, God-directed. He obviously loved the Lord, at, at, at certainly in the early part of his ministry. And it doesn't just stop there. Solomon goes on in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. He tells us how to hold on, if you like, to success in our lives. Forgive the use of the word success. I trust you know what I mean. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And then down to verse 17. Just skip forward two verses and look at this. As for you, this is God talking to Solomon. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father did, and do all that I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne. I just want to focus your attention on those, that opening line there. As for you, if you do what David did, 
See, God can give you success, folks. But you might not be able to keep it. It might be fleeting. You might do very well for a little time and then sink. And that's what was happening to Solomon. God had just blessed Solomon so mightily, the greatest of all history. But it comes with a warning. And the warning was this. Oh, uh, by the way, Solomon, you're not going to be able to keep it unless you do some of the stuff that David did. So what did David do? David had one massive pillar running through his life, and that was his closet prayer. He wrote the Psalms about it. Not so much about public prayer, remember. The Psalms were about what went on behind closed doors in David's private life with God, his private worship, his intimacy, and it was on that, folks. Please listen to me. It was that that God blessed. It was that because Solomon was good, as I say, in his formative years. It was that intimacy with God that he was able to bless in Solomon. And I want to follow that theme through for your life, for not me, where you are right now, but for your future. And I pray in the name of Jesus that today that same spirit that was in David, that spirit of prayer, and of intimacy with God gets into your life and never leaves you. Do you know, when the apostles were near Jesus, one day they said this to him. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Remember? You know, they never asked Jesus. They never said, Lord, teach us how to preach. They never said, Lord, teach us how to heal the sick or worship or whatever. And when you ask someone to teach you something, it means that you admire that in them. Like Su Yin, such an excellent keyboard player. You may say, Su Yin, please teach me how to play like that. Whatever it was, folks, please hear me. Whatever it was in the life of Jesus Christ, I know this. Healing the sick, raising the dead, it seems to pass them by. But when they saw him pray, when they saw him pray, they were obviously awestruck because there was something different in it. And they thought, my God, look at him pray. And they said, God, teach us that. In fact, I believe that they knew that everything else that they saw, the miracles, the resurrection of the dead, everything that they saw, they knew, it flowed from what? It flowed from the prayer. So they knew if I can get this piece right, if I can get the foundation right, if I can get that closet time, my intimacy with God, if I can build that like he's built it, then really the world's your oyster, the kingdom of heaven truly will be in your home, in your life. Hallelujah. It's not rocket science, is it? Lord, teach us how to pray. God, take me back to Sunday school. And, and, and show me the basics, because believe me, folks, it's the basics that Christians fall down on. You're not that smart. You're still tripping over simple things, still failing at the most basic disciplines and principles of the Christian life. Right? So they didn't say, God, teach us some complicated thing. That's what it is. No, they said, God, teach us the most basic of things. For surely this is where we fail. Surely this is where the gap is, God. Hallelujah. You know, they say that if you look at the men of history, people who have done like Wesley or Reinhard Bonnke, if you look at them, they say that they all do so many different things. Some of them may be moving in healing. Some of them may see great salvation like Bonnke. But they say the only common factor that you will find in all the men is prayer. There's no exceptions. Without that, you see, there is nothing. Without that, nothing can establish itself in your life. The point of this day, today, this Sunday, morning and evening, is I believe God wants to enter your heart and establish Himself somehow, some way, 
in a new way, in a dynamic way, in an intimate way with Him. To reconnect, rekindle something of intimacy. And I don't understand it. Maybe we'll understand it by the end of today. Where are you? And where's your heart? I know you're physically here. That doesn't mean that. Amen? Doesn't, folks. Doesn't mean a thing. You're physically here. But where's your heart? You know, it is true that the church becomes an inconvenience. An inconvenience for so many. And we come to the service. He's going on long this morning. Come on, Joe, hurry up. You going to sing that one more time? Oh, I got to get away. I got to slip away. And you ask people, well, where are you going? I'm going to the things that I really want to do. I'm going to the things that are important to me, so uh, get on with it. And people slip away to football or TV. And the point is that we should be slipping away to God. And let there be a reversal. Let there be a reversal in your heart today. That, he, that everything in life becomes an inconvenience. That everything in life, your work and everything else, begins to become the thing that you want to get away from so that you can just get into the presence of God. Amen. And let there be that holy reversal in us today. I think one of the problems with prayer and our lives is that we are very good. You are very good at initiating prayers, at starting prayers, at praying something. Very good at that. But incredibly poor at seeing those prayers through to fruition. And the truth is, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of the prayers that you have prayed have been aborted, if I can use that term. Yes, you conceived that prayer. But you, your spiritual life is the womb for that. You are the incubator that's supposed to see it through. But we fail so often in this area of seeing things through. Why? Why? Why have you started so many prayers? Why have you prayed so many things and then not continued? I'll tell you why. Because of the failure of that closet. It's your greenhouse. It's your incubator. It's the place where the prayers you pray, they don't get aborted, but over time, and with water, when the Bible calls prayer, with water and patience, those who by faith and patience, it says in Hebrews, bring forth a harvest unto God. Receive in this life the promises of God. So what I'm going to do, and you need to, you need to play by the rules here. Stick with me as we go through these notes. For those of you listening online or on air, if you want these notes because they are extensive, just email us and we will send you a copy. No problem. These notes come from a guy in, who was one of my lecturers in Bible college, actually, Benedict Rajan. He's got a church in Malaysia in JB. I think he's running about 20,000 people at the moment, 20,000 members. Great, great guy. There's very few people in my life I've ever met who I would say have a real good grip on the closet. Jeanette is one, and Rajan was another. And I was in the front row. I used to sit right at the front so I could pay attention in college. And I tell you, when he came in, he used to pray very early in the morning. And when he would come in, my God, you could just see God. You could feel God. And, 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 and his eyes were, were like pools, you know. He really had a, a depth in God. And I was very impressed with him. Not that he was trying to do that. I was very impressed with the deep intimacy he had with God. So I brought these notes back from Singapore. And I gave them to Jeanette. And she, she said, that's it! Well, of course, it takes one to know one. But she's the only other person I know who has that ability. What do I mean by that, folks? Please listen. And please don't be offended. I could... Take any one of you, and I could say to you, okay, here's a closet, go in. And you might come out, maybe a bit more at peace. You might come out, but I, she comes out radiant. She comes out shiny and scary. You know, it's amazing. I think, well, 
Jeanette, what are the keys? Because, I, you know, like, it's like the church keys. We've got a big bunch of church keys. And sometimes I'm fiddling around. Is it this one? Is it that one? But whatever it is that certain people get, they have a smooth journey into the presence of God, and it's easy. And I'm thinking, what is it? What is it that you're doing? What is it that you know about God and His nature? What is it that you understand that I don't get? And that's why this little booklet, I've kept it all these years, because I think it was precious insights from an insider. Precious insights from someone who knows how to go behind the veil. And this is his explanation of what he did. Stay with me when I call out the page numbers, because you're going to need to. Turn to page two. The top of page two. Everybody there? The top of page two is a quote from Matthew. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. At the bottom of page 2, Rajan just lists the three things that Jesus says your prayer life should include. This is just one aspect of prayer. It's closet prayer. There's many types of prayer. He says they should include solitude, privacy, and secrecy. Now stay with me. Just look up a moment. We'll come back to the notes in just a second. Solitude. I know how difficult it is to get alone. You live in shared accommodation. Your kids are running around the house. Listen, folks, some things you cannot afford not to do. Amen? Some things you've got to do. No matter what happens, you've got to do it. And one of them is that you must get some time on your own. I don't care if you want to go for a walk, if you want to lock the toilet door. You need to get on your own. And it's more difficult probably today than ever. And I appeal to you, husbands, please, for heaven's sake. You know, women get so stressed out with the number of things they have to do. I've got to do the iron. I've got to do the hoovering. And, and almost every week since we have been married, I've had to say to her, put it down. But we've got to hoover up. Look at it. Put it down. We will do the cleaning. We'll eat later. Because right now, there's only one thing that we're going to do in this house. You are going to go and get alone with God. And so am I. Now go. And she will go. And you know what she'll do? She'll take her Bible. Put your Bible down. Don't take your Bible up. Don't do that. You know, there's a time for Bible study. But some of you, the Bible has clarity. You've got more of a relationship with the book than you do with your God. More of a relationship with the church than with the God of the church. Amen. It's true. You know, let me give you an example. Excuse me. Let's say I'm going home. I've been out all day. And there's Jeanette, right? When I go home, excuse me, I say, oh, hi, Jeanette. How are you doing? Now, oh, it's good to be home and spend some time with you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, look at that. I remember that. Oh, look at that word there. I remember that story. <laughs> Hello. And folks, that's what it's like with God when you take... There's nothing wrong with the Scripture. And please don't hear what I'm not saying because I'm, of course there's a place for your Bible. But the trouble is, for me anyway, and you can do what you want, the trouble is for me when I bring my Bible into the, to the, the closet... As soon as I open it up, something's highlighted. I go, oh yeah, look at that. I remember that. Remember that word? That was in that church. That was in that church with that really bad guy, remember? Man, he really annoyed me. I think I'll just leave my quiet time. Something will come up. You'll get distracted. Well, there's that word. Or something will come up. You say, look at that. I never saw that. I wonder what that means. I'll go and look it up 
in this version. Excuse me. You forgot something. Is it me you were looking for? Friday night's prayer meeting. Leanne began with Lionel Richie's song. Hello? Is it me you're actually looking for? Or was it a Bible study? It's the trouble with the church. They turn everything into a Bible study. So my advice to you is, put your Bible down a minute. Listen to David. Solomon, the most successful person's ever lived. But his success came with a warning. And the warning was this. Solomon, if you don't copy some of your father's traits, David's traits, you won't be able to maintain success. Listen to one of David's traits in this psalm. Listen to what David says. My soul waiteth in silence for God. And by silence, you may beg to differ, no problem. But by silence, I don't think he's talking about Bible study. I don't think he's talking about so much praise and worship. And he's definitely not talking about prayer. He's talking about something that David has in his life, and we call it closet prayer. We call it you know, being alone with God and just letting God minister to you in whatever way that is. Whatever it was that was so meaningful in Jesus, I want to get that. I want to get a hold of that. Lord, teach us how to pray. And I'm struggling to illustrate it. But let me illustrate. Elson, come and help me a minute. Let's give him a round of applause. He's back from his holidays. Come on down here. There's no water today. Come on. Praise the Lord. Praise God. You stand over there. Could I have the water now? I'm only joking. You stand over there. Praise the Lord. Let's say you're the typical Christian, right? And let's say I'm God, okay? Don't say I said I was God, please, okay? Let's say I'm God. So in God, all your needs are met. So here I am. This is the presence of God. And in God, you have all the deliverance you need. You have all the healing you need. You have all the righteousness, all the prosperity. Everything, every need you've ever had is really summed up in those four words. But look where, look where else it is and look where these things are. So what's he going to do? You know what he's going to do? He's going to pray. Okay. So which one of these do you need, Elson? Name one. What? All of them. Okay, pick one. He's a difficult customer. Prosperity. prosperity. Okay. Start praying for prosperity. Go on. He's praying. Make some move. Go on, go on. Go on. Get into this stuff. You know. Start praying for prosperity. So there he is. Look. And five years go by. You okay? Don't fall asleep on me. He's praying. He's praying. Six years go by. He's still praying. Look where the prosperity is in the presence of God. And what are you doing over there? I stay there. <laughs> what are you doing over there? Hey, what? He's prayed for 10 years. 10 long years. Here you go. It's 20p. Praise the Lord. <laughs> 20 pence. 10 years hard labor. And all he's got is 20p. Ring any bells? <laughs> well, what's wrong? There's got to be an easier way. Lord, teach us how to pray. How do you do that? Why is it such a stress all the time? Well, just come into the presence of God. As simple as that. Just come into the presence. Now, here you are at the table of God. Everything is yours. But there's one big catch. <laughs> go back to your seat, please. Go ahead. Go back to your seat. Yes. Praise the Lord. <laughs> There's one big catch. The presence of God stays with you wherever you go. You can't be separated. Hallelujah. Praise God. When you look at the life of Jesus, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we're finding it such a stress all the time, such a strain, there's something wrong in my mind. There's something wrong with what I'm doing. Instead of, let's say this is the presence of God. There it is. And I'm over here and I'm trying to bring everything from there to here. Well, God is very good, very gracious, very kind. 
And God will bless your life in drops and drips. But it was never the plan. It was never the goal. The plan was that the presence of God, of course, we're born again. We're New Testament believers. So the presence of God is intended to reside within us. And that's where Jesus lived. And that's what God was saying to Solomon. Solomon, you see all this healing, deliverance, prosperity, and righteousness. It is in my presence. Now, we have been hit, obviously, with some health challenges in our own home. <laughs> so, how do you cope with that? What do you do? I'll tell you what I'm doing. You can do what you choose. But I say to Jeanette, go into the presence of God. Get everybody to pray for me. Everybody can pray for you all they want. But I tell you this, love. That's where everything is. If you can just maintain that presence. And it doesn't come cheap, does it? Following God is costly to our lives. And we've got to be trustworthy like Solomon certainly was in his early era. But that's where everything is. And this, these blessings are effortless. These blessings don't take... Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But it's the way we go about things, I think, that stresses us out. So that's where Rajan begins. He starts by us getting alone he, in solitude. In fact, it's in Matthew's Gospel, of course. Jesus said he wanted solitude from you. And he wanted privacy and secrecy from you. And that's another two things that are, again, hard to find, folks. I, in terms of privacy, look up a minute. In terms of privacy, let me challenge you. I challenge you this. Jesus mentions three things. Fasting, giving, and praying. I challenge you for this coming week. Fast, but don't tell anyone. Pray, but don't tell us all. Give, but make sure nobody knows about it. Right? And journey into the one who sees. Journey into a relationship with the one who wants to meet you in secret. The one who wants to meet you alone with no one else there. That's what God wants. I don't know. You know, when you first fall in love, if any of you have been in love, all the husbands, you better say amen. I'm telling you, you're in big trouble. <laughs> If you've ever been in love, the one thing you will know, especially in that early time, your desire more than anything is to what? Be alone. You love to be alone so that you can communicate. God, we're made in God's image. And when God calls you into solitude, stop praying a minute. Put your Bible away a minute. I just wanted to spend time with you. And in that moment, you get to know each other. You need to know him. And he's been very kind, very gracious in beckoning, beckoning us into his presence. Look at page six. Just flick forward to page six. Pastor Rajan goes on to talk about what he sees as the foundations for the closet, the foundations for his approach into the closet and his maintenance of it. And the first one that he felt was... Humility, in fact, that's what we read in Chronicles, wasn't it? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves is the first place that God goes. And hey, it's probably never been more important than it is today. We live in a society, we live in an age where self-confidence is applauded. And in some senses, I like that. I like to see people who are normal and balanced and not introverted or whatever. But self-confidence is, is, is really not where it's at, amen? Not with a Christian, because you will become proud. And God calls you not to be self-confident. He calls you to be God-confident, to put your confidence and your hope and your faith and your trust in Him. And that is a very different thing. But I think we misunderstand what humility is 
And maybe some of you, you think, well, I couldn't be humble. I can't be humble because humble people are weak. Humble people are not productive. I need to be productive. Humble people shy away and they're gloomy and sad. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's just maybe we see so much self-confidence that we confuse it. But remember, humility is great strength. Great strength. And it's God-confidence, not self-confidence. All I'm saying, I think all that God is saying is self-confidence has got no place in the holy place. If you're going to try and enter into that place and be full of your own abilities, aware of yourself to that degree, I'm afraid your quiet time is going to be a pretty short time. If my people, that's you, who are called by my name, Christians, will humble themselves and pray. The second one there on page 7 was the the foundation of a God-centered repentance. And he quotes there, just at halfway down page 7, he quotes from David in the Psalms, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. And thou art justified when dost thou speak and blameless when thou dost judge. Sadly, as a, as a pastor over the years, you deal with people who have committed adultery as David had right here, and he's repenting of it. And I've dealt with many people, men and women, in that very situation. And one of the most memorable ones is memorable for all the wrong reasons. This guy calls me up, says, I want to come and see you. He comes to the church, and he's coming through the door blabbering and crying profusely, you know, and you kind of get guess what's going on here. So he sits down. But you know there's tears and there's tears, folks. There's good tears and there's bad tears. And I just did not witness with his tears. So he cried and cried and cried. Eventually he got his act together. And he told me, I've committed adultery and I've been involved in an affair. And then he started to tell me how he was feeling. And he said, oh, I was so frightened that my wife would find out. I was so frightened about the kids. I mean, what about the kids? And what about the, And I was so frightened of you. How on earth am I going to face him and tell him what's happened? And on and on he went. He gave a little bit of time and we just wait. Well, I'm waiting for something. What am I waiting on? God. The only person you didn't mention was God. You're frightened. You're not crying. This is not a God-centered, page 7.2, the foundation of a God-centered repentance. Your repentance is not towards God. You just want to keep your marriage together. You're just frightened that you got caught and your world is falling apart. These tears are not for God. Why did David say, after a heinous crime, of adultery and murder, how on earth can you then turn and say this against you and you only have I sinned? How can someone say that? I'll tell you how. Because the gap between heaven and earth is so great. You need to have a very big view of God to say that. You need to, have a, you need to know God and see Him in an awesome way to say that and to mean it. But that's what, they, that's what God-centered repentance is. It's when you know what you've done to Him, the one who has sent His Son to die for you. And that type of heart attitude, amongst these other things, is what maintains our ability to enter easily into the closet, into the presence of God, without being hampered or, or you know, troubled. Turn to page 8, please. The third foundation Pastor Rajan mentions is the foundation of God's revealed presence, something that we take too lightly. And by the way, I thought the worship was just outstanding this morning. Really wonderful presence of God here, and I thank God for that. But God's presence in your home, folks, you mustn't take it for granted. And if God's missing, (laughs) you better go look for Him. 
You better relight the fires and rekindle that spirit in your home because that's your responsibility. That's something you must do. Don't play games with this. You know, you've heard of the underground church in China. Our church in Singapore, our mother church, is very heavily involved in that. We tend not to mention too much because there's still severe persecution there. But one of the leaders from the underground church in China, and this is just a story I heard this week, he traveled to America and went around. Now, you know the underground church is so persecuted. And where you get persecution, you get God. Where you get you know, severe persecution, the presence of God will be there. And they took this leader and he traveled around America to the big churches that were so impressive. And at the end of the time, they said to him, well, what do you think? And the guy said, well, I'm absolutely amazed. And they said, what are you amazed at? The size of the churches? How good everything is? He said, no. I'm amazed that you guys can do so much without God. You've achieved so much. Look at what you've done. And that's a, you know, that's a real indictment. But I know what he means. He was coming from a place where there was an intensity of the presence of God. It's not our subject for this morning. You see, the presence of God and the anointing, they're different things, folks. The anointing is the thing in me right now. The anointing is the thing that's operating in Joe, in Kay. That's, that's anointing. It always remains. Never, God never takes it away. But it's not the presence of God. It's not the presence of God. And the sad indictment on our age is we, do, we don't know the difference. We can't even sense the difference. The presence of God is, is what's on you. The anointing is what flows out of whoever is ministering. There are two different things. Now, his point, that Chinese guy coming out of the underground church, his point was this. Oh, great services. The people are really anointed. But where's God? Where's the presence of God? I'll tell you where the presence of God is. The presence of God only comes where there is sacrifice. It's the altar. It's the tabernacle. When they put the... Down came the presence of God. And it just tells a tale. It tells a story in modern-day churches where there is no sacrifice ongoing, whether that's your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever. Where there's no ongoing sacrifice, there's nothing for the presence of God to lick up with the flames, remember? And we get, we get satisfied in modern churches by the anointing. But anyway, turn to page 9. On page 9... He goes on to talk about the foundation of total repentance. And as I said at the beginning, I think there's a thing called a spirit of prayer, you know? I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but sometimes our prayers just, I guess they take on a different level. Kind of strange things happen. When we, the more we pray, the cleaner our house gets. And it's almost like the spirit of prayer, when it comes on you, you clean up everything. I kind of find it difficult if you're cluttered, untidy, falling over yourself, you know, and the, the house is a complete and utter shambles. I kind of think it must be very difficult for someone to have any semblance of a Christian. I, well, I don't know about you, but I couldn't function, you know, well. I'm not contradicting what I said earlier. There's a time and place for those things. I just, I just mean, I know from my own experience, once I start getting into God, I tell you, my garden's clean and tidy, my house is clean and tidy. It, 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 he cleans up everything. God will move through your whole life, your conversation, your work, everything. When that spirit, which is this one, it's the spirit of total repentance, He comes to clean up, comes to do you good. And it's a wonderful thing, a beautiful thing. They say cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, maybe there's something in that. Turn to page 11. This is chapter 2. I'm not going to go into it in any detail, but this just talks about God's own concept of closet prayer. So I'm not going to spend any time on that, but we will pray into it tonight. It, basically, it talks about God's concept of prayer being one where we enter with thanksgiving and praise. As, as I mentioned, we're going through certain challenges ourselves at, at home. That's fine. We pulled up outside your house on Tuesday night, Gordon, to go to the cell group. And we were sitting talking in the car for a little while. And I turned to Jeanette and I said this. I said, you know what? 
when I don't thank God, I show my ignorance. That's what I do. I show how stupid, how ignorant, how naive, how you name it, I actually am. Anybody who doesn't thank God doesn't understand. Don't get it. Got fooled. Took the bait. When I don't thank God, I just show my own lack of knowledge of Him. Do you know what, folks? I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. I probably would have died in that motorway when I got drunk when I was about 25 and I fell asleep in the central reservation. I can't even remember getting there. I'll never forget that. I was asleep in the middle of a junction and I sat up. I don't remember getting there. And cars, boom, boom, boom. I'm thinking, wow. And I'm way 70 miles from home. I can't remember the name of that town. It's outside Cardiff. And it's like... 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I stagger over to the other side of the road and it's my friend. Jesus sent my friend to bring me home. What's the chances of that girl being in another town and seeing me when I, I cannot... Hallelujah. And what, what I mean by saying that, folks, is this. Thank God I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for God. You could be dead already if it wasn't for God. You could be dead already. You don't know the things that God has shielded you from. Your children still alive? Thank God. You in good health? Thank God. Because you do not know what He has already shielded you from and protected you from. So when we don't thank Him, I repeat, we show our ignorance and our lack of understanding of how good he is. Turn to page 11. Sorry, that was page 11. Turn to page 16. This is a very important chapter, and I, I would advise you in cell groups, maybe take this one a little bit more seriously or spend a little bit more time on this one than the others. I'll read the scripture, the second scripture men mentioned on page 16. Chapter 3, page 16, the second scripture mentioned, Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in His sight. It's a, such a monumental scripture, such a huge scripture. It's, it's one of the keys. And it's probably one of the big keys, one of the main keys, in my opinion, for getting into the presence of God for living in that presence is what this chapter is all about, and that is that you have a correct self-image. Because the way you see yourself, that's enough, you know. That's what, he's, that's what John is saying here. Beloved, if our hearts... Look at that. Look at that word, our. Beloved, if your heart, that is, that's your heart. If your heart does not condemn you, you can have confidence and enter before God. We, we, have, we have confidence before God. There, there is no condemnation from God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans. There now, therefore, is no condemnation. But it's your heart that's the problem. Because you can carry judgment in your heart. You may not forgive yourself. You may not be able to cope with yourself. And when you feel that, when you feel put down by your own weaknesses or your own sin or the things you've done wrong, my, oh my, the devil will have you on the run all of your life until you come to a proper self-image. Jesus said, as you believe, so shall you receive. Well, in my opinion, it is equally true. Listen carefully. As you perceive yourself, that will either enable you to enter the holy place easily and smoothly. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or it equally can keep you out. You need to, I need to, you need to get a grip on how God views me. When I was in Cardiff Uni, I did a diploma there years ago. And some, man, most of the professors, teachers were terrible. But this one particular guy was really bad. 
and he really, really annoyed me, and I, I was vexed that he was lost. He was lost and I was saved. I was angry because he kept on trying to mock the Bible and all this sort of stuff. And I was thinking, what are you doing here? Most of the class were not saved. And I just, I was really annoyed with him. And um, I, was, I was a bad witness to him. But one day, God spoke to me about him, was praying for him. And God spoke to me and said this. It changed my life. He said, he is not so much a deceiver. He himself is deceived. Huh. He's not the deceiver. It's the devil who's the deceiver. Why are you treating him like the devil? Have you got no pity on him? He doesn't know left from right. He's not saved. You're saved. You're supposed to go in there with a good heart and a good spirit. Instead, you condemn him because of what he doesn't know or because the devil's deceived him. Man, it changed my, changed my mind changed my worldview. And you kind of look at the, the lost differently and realize how God sees them, that He loves the world and wants to save the world. But I mentioned that example because it also tells me how God sees me. If God looks at the lost that way and wants me to love them, wants you to love them, can you imagine how God looks at you for whom His Son died? the one that Christ paid the price for. God looks at you with forgiving eyes, with accepting eyes, with beckoning eyes. But it's your heart if there be condemnation in it. When we've dealt with communion in the past, you use communion, remember, to purge your heart. It's another key. It's another way in. That's what it's been left for. That's the difference between you and the Jews. The Jews, even though the blood flowed, and it says in the book of Hebrews, even though the man came with a calf and he slaughtered the calf, it says in Hebrews, he went home with a guilty conscience. It didn't, it only covered, it was only a temporary thing. But you're different because the blood of Jesus does not cover your sin. It removes it. It takes it away and it replaces the confidence that you need to enter into that holy place and to receive easily and freely. Turn to page 25. Page 25, yes, that's right. It talks here about the confessions. This is actually chapter 4, and it talks about the confessions that, that, that we need to get used to making. And this is something that we've dealt with from time to time as a church, but it's still something that many of you, in, in, in my opinion anyway, please forgive me, but I think many of you struggle on this one. Whoever believes in his heart and what? Confesses with his mouth. And when God wanted to bring the world into creation, he spoke. He spoke. Okay? And, and these things here, these confessions beginning on page 25, these are things that you could do with confessing every day. And by confessing, what do we mean? We mean say them out loud. Let yourself hear it. Okay? I love what Andrew Womack says about, about a time of difficulty in his life. He says he, he, was, he was really struggling, and he, went, he took the three words, I am blessed. And he, he decided he was going to start praying them. So for the first while, he focused on the I. And he spoke it so that he could hear himself, declaring it to the devil, to God, to the angels, to the world. And he would say, I am blessed. And then he took some time and he focused on the am. I am blessed. I am blessed. And then he took some time and he focused on the blessed. I am blessed. And something changes, folks, when you say things out loud. Now, I've told you before, it's some of the worst examples I've ever... I've had it twice in my life. Once with Pastor Elia in the other building and once in Dublin, where the pastor in both meetings, in one occasion it was Elia, in another occasion it was a friend of mine, and the pastor in both occasions said this, Come and pray. There's an open heaven. Okay? An open heaven. Here's the mic. Come and pray for whatever you want. And people wouldn't move. They wouldn't move. They would sit still. 
you know, the best of people was Su Chin. I remember dear Su Chin, lovely, faithful girl. And Clifford, remember big Clifford? Remember him? Elia was standing there and Elia was saying, there's an open heaven, come. And I remember praying and looking at the crowd and Su Chin didn't open her mouth. What's wrong? Devil got your tongue? Probably has. Some of you, if you don't pray, you know what the word pray means? To speak out loud. If you don't pray out loud, you've got a problem. Okay? You've got a problem. And you need to overcome that problem. Whoever believes in his heart and confesses. And these are confessions here. Sooner or later in your life, you're going to have to bite the bullet like all of us and stand up and start to confess and start to speak out. Amen. You know, when, when I got saved and God called me to go into preaching, I was terrified at that time. And they sent, my, about five of us went to Kettering to this teacher there who, who taught us how to preach in the open air. And I, I mean, I hope this doesn't shock you. <laughs> but this is, this is what he did. Pradeep, come and help me, please. Come up here. This is what he did, right? Now, <laughs> are, you, are you ready for this? <laughs> There's me. I'm shy. I was, believe me, I was shy. I was introverted. I, I, I was, honestly. I was! <laughs> I was shy, quiet, introverted. I, I, I couldn't speak. And I'm going, hello, I'm, I, I'm a preacher. Oh, you're a preacher, are you? And that guy knew his job. He knew how to break me. I, I couldn't confess nothing. Have, have you heard about Jesus? And he said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that. This is what he did. Forgive me, Pradeep. This is what he did. Tell, tell me to stop. Go on, tell me to stop. Go on, tell me to stop. Tell me to stop pushing you. What's wrong with you? And I would go, stop. stop. Said, no, tell me to stop pushing you. Speak, shout. See what I mean? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. And after a while, you suddenly, you suddenly realize, what on earth is wrong with me? Do you know a friend of mine, when I worked in the hospital, it was this girl, her name was Siobhan McLaughlin. And she couldn't swim. And she wanted to learn to swim. And she got this big rubber ring. And she was paddling around in the rubber ring. And a mate of mine was the lifeguard. But the rubber ring started to go down. There's no one in the place, and Steve was outside. Do you know what she did? Steve. Steve. Oh, Steve. She would, and he just happened to be looking in, and he thought, she's sinking. And he went in, and he thought, she is sinking. Dived in, got her out, and he said to her, why didn't you shout? I said, I didn't like to. Come on, you're going to die. And so it is with our houses, folks. So it is with your home. So it is with your Christian walk. Confess. Speak. Speak. Some of you, when you come into the presence of God, you won't open your mouth. And when you go outside this door, you don't shut up. Amen. Not one word to God. And I tell you, I know I've been around churches long enough to know this. The people who pray the least, they want to control everything. Want to control the church, but never open their mouths. Never be part of the sacrifice of the work involved. You need to watch that spirit that ties your tongue. And start to confess. Start to speak out. Now who of you has trouble praying out loud? Don't put your hand up. I'm telling you, you have got a problem. And that is probably a problem that has dogged your whole life. And that problem will continue to follow you until the day like Pradeep, that someone gets a hold of you and says, wake up, start to use the authority that you've got, speak, speak child. You know when a baby doesn't cry, what do you do? Whack, come on, a quick slap and well, there's no breath, there's no life. Well, there is life, but you know what I mean. You want to make sure that life's in there. 
And one of the sure signs in you, this is the overflow, by the way. And if the, if the well is empty, there's nothing overflowing. Get your well filled up and you will speak. These are confessions. They're conf that means you have to say them out loud. And he's listed a few of them here. The three, conf um, three powerful confessions. The first one being the full armor of God. Why don't we say these out loud together? I walk in the assurance of salvation. I walk by faith in God. I walk in truth concerning God. I walk in the authority of God's word. I walk in the righteousness of God. I will proclaim the gospel. And then he goes on to talk about the confessions of the blood of Jesus. And these are brilliant, powerful. I am justified by the blood. I am sanctified by the blood. I am redeemed by the blood. I am forgiven by the blood. I am cleansed by the blood. Over the page, talks about the confessions that a conqueror needs to make. Daily, folks, at least in the beginning anyway, daily, in your quiet time. It's not going to take you even half an hour a day. Start praying these things out loud to yourself. The three confessions of a conqueror. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I rule and reign. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I am born again. I am in the kingdom of God. I am led in triumph of Christ. I manifest the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. So tonight, what we're going to do is going to be, the evening meeting will be a little bit different. And we're going to open up, I've been praying and talking with Joe this week, just to prepare for this evening. Going to open up with some praise and worship, and then maybe some people can take a few of these chapters. Maybe chapter 1, Eunice. Could you just come prepared to pray in the content of chapter 1? doesn't need to, just like two minutes. Maybe Helen, could you deal with self-image? That chapter on self-image and, and pray that in. Joe's going to sing a song tonight and then we're going to do a little bit of prayer. Then we'll sing and we'll worship and then we'll pray in another one of the chapters. Then we'll sing and worship. We'll pray in another chapter. And could you do um, that last one there, Leanne, please? Chapter 5. And please, all of you come. Tonight, the microphone will be there. And let tonight be the night when your voice is heard. Could I have that slide, Stefan? And I'll invite the worship team back. This is just a concluding piece of advice in terms of establishing your home life, your private prayer time. Number one, go home and organize yourself. I get up, your life will be different from mine, but I get up and I go into my office within a very quick time, like five minutes, ten minutes. I like to work early in the morning because you're sharp, you know, you've had good rest. I go straight in. But folks, I need to organize myself. Look at me a minute. Let's say I've got an important phone call to make, but I want to have a quiet time. Make the phone call. Get organized. Let's say this, you know, something I need to do, and I think, go and do it. Get it out of the way. Get, get as much settled. Get organized. Because organization, lack of organization, will eat away at your peace in your prayer time. Because do you know what I need to do in that prayer time? Settle down. Settle down. And not be thinking of this or that or my mind wandering. Organize yourself. Discipline yourself. And you need to inspire yourself. I, I, I can't emphasize enough, folks, that these things no one can help you with. This is all yourself. It's all you. I believe God wants to do something, as I said at the beginning. Do something in you today. Just bow your heads a moment. Hallelujah. Lord, we happily acknowledge our weakness in intimacy with you, real intimacy. And this morning, like David, we open the gates of our heart and we ask you to come. Holy Spirit, come. I pray for every vessel here, all those listening on air or at home, bless them all. Flow into them all. This morning we lay a foundation of humility. God, forgive us for our pride. 
foundation of repentance from all sins foundation of thanksgiving we've indicate you of all things that we've ever judged you on or accused you of God you are innocent come and fill us come and lead us